You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Thanks for your prayers last week, Andrea, myself, and our daughter, Brooke, along with Edward and Denise Hayes, were in Arad, Romania. You say, what's in Arad, Romania? There's a Harvest Bible Chapel in Arad, Romania that is growing and thriving under the leadership of our pastor there, Christian Barbosu. And what we have done is we have replicated Harvest Bible Fellowship Training Center over in Arad. And from Arad, we want to plant Harvest Bible Chapels all over Europe. And so it is incredible what God is doing over there. And so we went over there to serve and to lead and to teach and invest in seven new Harvest Bible Chapel church planters. Would you like to see what they look like? See if you think they got a shot at pulling it off. Here they are. And along with their wives and one of their children. And let me tell you where they are from. They are not just from Romania. One is from Romania. One is from Croatia, Serbia, Ukraine, Germany, Greece, and one from Africa, Cameroon. They're all coming together to learn how to plant vertical churches all over Europe. And so we were there for a day of training. And then the next day started Harvest University for Europe, just like what we do in Chicago. And so uh, we taught and we, we invested and we prayed and we worshiped. And I had the privilege of preaching the closing message at Harvest University on Tuesday night. And uh, Pastor Christian had, uh, had given us a theme for the, the, the entire conference. And he'd ask each of us Harvest pastors to preach on this theme. The theme was sacrifice. Now, when I got that assignment, I'm thinking, I'm going to feel really awkward as the American pastor going over there to talk to Eastern Europeans about how to sacrifice. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to have much credibility for that. You can go ahead and hand those Bibles out if you want. And uh, so I'm over there thinking, what what am I going to do teaching these people about sacrifice? And sacrifice is something that Americans think, you know, we make a sacrifice when we have to park in the gravel parking lot. You know, rather than the pay parking lot or we have to come an hour church. Ugh, I can drag myself out of bed and come to church an hour earlier because it's daylight savings time. What a sacrifice, right? Well, uh, what Americans call sacrifice, Eastern Europeans call work. Okay, so uh, I was a little intimidated by that assignment. Pastor Christian uh, gave us a little explanation of why he uh, picked that theme. Let me read to you what he emailed me a few months ago. He said, the theme is sacrifice. Here it is. Jesus sacrificed himself for you. How are you sacrificing yourself for him? He says, most of those who will come to the conference already are involved in some degree of ministry, especially in ministry. Sacrifice is a key word. However, in our part of the world, oftentimes church is seen as an extra thing to do on my to-do list. I'm like, in your part of the world? That's happening in my part of the world too. Have you noticed that kind of happening in our part of the world? Yeah, he goes on to explain. In other words, if I have time, I'll help but on my terms and in my rhythm. And you should be happy that, that I'm doing something. So don't push and don't comment upon the quality or lack thereof of my work. You see, this is the legacy of communism where the level of quality and responsibility are very low. Therefore, mediocrity and a lack of commitment are continual problems in churches here. 
I'm thinking, Brother Christian, we got the same problem over here. And so we need to have a little discussion about sacrifice. And so I'm going to deliver to you the same message I delivered to the Romanians and the Eastern Europeans on Tuesday night. Is that okay? Anybody want to leave now? Message on sacrifice. Not, not up for that. Probably not a time for you to dismiss because we would all be looking at you. So uh, anyway, you're going to endure it here now. Okay. So uh, we're going to talk about sacrifice. Get your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Now, I got to tell you, if you tell a bunch of Harvest Bible Chapel pastors that all they have to do is preach a message on sacrifice, can I tell you that motivates us? That's like saying sick them to a dog, right? And, and if we're not careful, this is what my fear was for our pastors, and I communicated it to them. I said, listen, we've got to be careful that in communicating the how of sacrifice and the what of sacrifice, that we also communicate the why of sacrifice. Because people can sacrifice for the wrong reason. And we want to make sure, even this morning, that we understand the why before we understand the what. And let's begin to read about that here in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Jesus Christ. Now, that's a good place to start, right? Anytime you're preaching a message on uh, sacrifice, let's just start with Jesus' sacrifice, right? We, we know about that. It's going to tell us about that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, let, let me tell you why that is such a significant statement. We are at the, in the very last chapter of the book of Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews is telling us the things that unlock for us the, what, was, what were mysteries in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you've ever tried to read the Old Testament, you are struck by how bloody and violent the Old Testament is. As a matter of fact, that's a huge turnoff for people that haven't received enough grace to understand what God was trying to communicate, us, communicate to us in the Old Testament. Well, the book of Hebrews was written as the decoder ring to understand all of that Old Testament sacrificial system and the lambs and the goats whose throats were slit and the blood drained out. I know it's even horrible even to imagine. And uh, that was part of the regular worship experience of the gathered people of God. Now, did anybody bring a, a goat or a pigeon or a, a lamb this morning and you're ready to... It, how many of you are grateful for the New Covenant? Right? Are you grateful for the new covenant? But listen, just because we're in the new covenant doesn't mean it's not bloody as well. Because what he's saying in verse 8 is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday in the Old Testament, all those hundreds of years of sacrifices. And today, at the time this was written, the institution of the church and the new covenant, and then forever, for as long as eternity exists you and I will have to sacrifice through the blood of Jesus Christ. He goes on to warn us in verse 10 by this. He says, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not been been." not benefited those devoted to them. There was all these codes about what you could eat and when you could eat and how much you could eat and, and parts of the animal you could eat. That was all Old Testament. And now that Jesus Christ has come, the writer of Hebrews is saying 
all of those Old Testament sacrifices have been fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And tucked away right there in verse 9 is the answer to the question, why do we still sacrifice for Jesus? Do you see that little phrase? For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. You see, there's two ways to motivate people. You can motivate people to sacrifice by guilt, or you can motivate people to sacrifice by grace. And if you try to motivate people to sacrifice by guilt, two things will happen. Number one, you will be led into diverse and strange teachings and that sacrifice will be short-lived. It'll last about three hours until you get tired, until you find a better thing to do, until there's a good show on television. I mean, all kinds of things that get us off if you are only motivated by guilt. And so the motivation today is not guilt. The motivation is what? Because it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. The second that my heart is not strengthened by grace, do you know what happens? I lose all motivation to sacrifice. And if you're here this morning and your heart's never been strengthened by grace, or if you're feeling weak and you're disconnected from, unplugged from God, we wouldn't expect you to make a sacrifice. First, let your heart be strengthened by the goodness and the grace of God in understanding what Christ did on the cross in my place as a substitute for my sin. He bled out as the sacrifice acceptable to God. Now with that understanding, my focus on his sacrifice, my sacrifice has motivation. And so let your heart be strengthened by grace. It's good. It's so good for your heart to be strengthened by grace. You know, every pagan religion involves sacrifice. I mentioned this to you, but last March, uh, Micah and Andrea and I, along with some other Harvest Pastors, went down to the Central American country of Belize. And we were looking for a church planter down there, and you met Pastor Enrique, and he's doing great. He's having core group meetings and talking to him every week. And, and soon there's going to be a Harvest Bible Chapel in Belize because of that trip we took. One of the things that we did while we were down there is we took a little tour of the Mayan ruins. Have you ever seen these things? And uh, here's a picture of some of those Mayan ruins. And, and it was kind of a guided tour, and the tour guide told us all about the Mayan culture, and here's the food they ate, and here's the games they played. And after two hours, we walked away just thinking, man, that was pretty incredible. But he left out... A little detail. Do you know what happened on those temple mounds? Do you know what their worship involved? Human sacrifice. You see, the default of the human heart in your heart and mine is to think if I can just sacrifice enough, God will accept me. Look, God, how good I am. Look, God... I came to church today. Look, God, I sat in the first three rows. Thank you for those of you that sat in the first three rows. We, you are loved. Actually, more than the people that sit behind you. You are loved too, but I love these people more. Okay? 
But if you think that God loves these people more, then that's the default nature of the human heart is to think that if I do more, if I give more, if I be more, then if, if I know what, God, I'll show you how much I love you. This is what the Mayans thinking was, is I'm going to take my child, I'm going to slit its throat, drain the blood out and offer it to God. See, God, I love you so much. Look at what I did for you. And that's in my heart, too. To think if I can sacrifice enough, if I can be good enough, I can show God how serious I am, then he'll accept me. Little did those Mayans know that around the same period of time, on the other side of the world, God the Father sacrificed his son and drained the life out of his son so they wouldn't have to. That's the good news of the gospel. It's God's sacrifice that makes me acceptable, not mine. And yet there is a heart that loves to sacrifice when I have my focus on the sacrifice that God made. Do you remember in the first few pages of the Bible, Adam and Eve? Um, Adam and Eve. Yeah, they kind of blew it, right? They sinned. And do you remember, as soon as they sinned, they were flooded with uh, guilt. They were flooded with shame and they tried to cover their guilt and their shame. How'd they do it? Fig leaves, right? Pull some leaves off the branches. And I don't know if he was like sewing garments together out of leaves and doing the best to cover the shame. And, and God came along and said, not good enough. And do you remember God covered them with something else? What was it? An animal skin. Where did he get the skin of an animal? The animal had to die. The blood had to be shed to cover the guilt and the shame of sin. From the very first pages of our Bible, do you know what we learn? The price of sin is blood sacrifice. And so that started the whole system of blood sacrifice through the Old Testament until we finally get to the New Testament and we read about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in your Bible, just let your eyes go back a couple of chapters. Turn over to chapter 9 and let's look here in verse 11 as what it tells us about Jesus' sacrifice. Hebrews 9.11 says, But when Christ appeared as... A high priest. Now just stop right there. Think about the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Was Jesus a high priest? Is Jesus, a, was his occupation a high priest? What's the writer of Hebrews saying? Jesus was the true and the better high priest. The Old Testament high priest were pointing to the future ultimate high priest, Jesus. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent. What tent is he talking about? He's not talking about like your camping tent. He's talking about the Old Testament tabernacle, the mobile tabernacle that they would set up and tear down, the place that was holy and the place where sacrifices was made, were made. Not only was Jesus the true and the better high priest, he was the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And he entered as a high priest once for all, once for all, into the holy place, not by means of blood, the blood of goats and of calves, but by means of his own blood. Jesus spilled 
true and greater blood, perfect blood to cleanse all sin of everyone who would believe, who would come to Christ as accepting his sacrifice, thus securing eternal redemption. Look down at verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? On Tuesday night, I told my Romanian friends, I, I have to, at the risk of ruining the whole theme of the conference, read to you a verse about sacrifice. It would be our temptation to skip this. But we have to look at it if our theme is sacrifice. It's Psalm 51, which was written by David after he sinned, he desired to be made right with God. And in his contemplation of how to pray, this is what he said. He's speaking to God and he says, for you will not delight in sacrifice. At the end of three days of preaching and teaching on sacrifice, I stood in front of my friends and I said, God doesn't want your sacrifice. What? David knew what God wanted was not a burnt offering. He said, you will not delight in sacrifice. If you would, I would give it. David was king. He had the ability to bring whatever sacrifice he wanted. He said, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. So what does please God? What kind of sacrifice does God want? The next verse tells us. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, that's the sacrifice you will not despise. And so God is looking for a heart condition that is humble and broken over sin. A heart that will drain the life out of pride and rebellion and ignorance and, and idolatry and immorality. That's the kind of sacrifice God's looking for this morning. So before you sign up for do something on Easter or park a car or hold a baby or give some money, listen, if it's not done motivated by a heart that is moved by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, God neither needs or wants. You can keep it. But if God gets your heart, there is no sacrifice too great that won't be given from a heart that loves the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So why do we sacrifice? Let me give you a definition of sacrifice. It's a little different maybe than what you've thought of sacrifice. Sacrifice is this. It is the willingness, the willingness to joyfully surrender that which you rightfully possess in order to or in exchange for a greater reward. Let me read it again. Sacrifice is the willingness to joyfully surrender that which you rightfully possess in exchange for greater reward. Why do we sacrifice? Because it is our joy. Jesus has become a greater treasure than anything we would give. 
We understand that the value of knowing him, of serving him, of loving him, of following him is a greater joy to us than holding on to whatever it is that we bring as a sacrifice. It is a joy to sacrifice for Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the writer tells us what motivated Jesus to continue to take steps toward the cross. When it got harder, Jesus kept looking to the reward. Listen to what it says. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And so when it's hard, when it requires endurance, what do we do? We look ahead to the joy that will be ours in knowing that Jesus is a greater treasure. And when you see the reward, it doesn't even look like sacrifice to the one that gives it. Have you ever met some of the wild-haired, crazy people around here at church? I mean, they serve in everything and they give all of the money and they can't wait to sign up for the next volunteer opportunity. And they, they do so much. And you just kind of scratch your head at these people. It's like, calm down. You're making the rest of us look bad. You, you know who I'm talking about. Is somebody coming to mind if you've been around church? Like, and if you go to them and say, you sacrifice so much, you do so much, they look at you like you're weird. Like, what are you talking about? It is my joy to give that which I rightfully possess in exchange for the greater reward. See, if you could understand what I'm telling you right now, a thousand years from now, you would come up to me and thank me and invite me over to the mansion that you live in. Do you understand that living a sacrifice, sacrificial life is not just right, it's smart. Because what you're going to get far outweighs that which you give. And please understand this. Everybody sacrifices something. You will either make temporary sacrifices now or you will make eternal sacrifices later. Either you will lose yourself in this life and gain the next, or you will hold tightly to the life you now have and lose your life in the next. But mark it down, everybody sacrifices something. Think about it. Skinny people sacrifice dessert. Why? Because skinny tastes better than dessert. And the reward for being skinny is greater than the reward for consuming the dessert. I'm still enjoying dessert, you know, for this right now. That's just kind of a greater reward for me. Other people, think about it. If you're married, married people sacrifice independence and autonomy. Independence is valuable. Autonomy is valuable. You need to do whatever you want, whenever you want, with no accountability. But when you get married, now you lose some of your autonomy. You have to prefer others ahead of yourself and you have to negotiate and you have to work out and you have to give when it hurts and, and when you don't want to. But 
you sacrifice your independence and autonomy for the greater reward of companionship and a spouse. Those of you that are parents, how many of you have children under the age of one year old? Under the age of one? Look at these people. Do you see the bags under their eyes? These people look exhausted here this morning. Why? Because they sacrifice sleep. Have you guys sacrificed some sleep lately? Yeah? Yeah, you sacrifice a little sleep. Yeah, I'm looking at Micah and Nicole over there. You got like four children under two or something. I don't know. What, you guys, nothing went on the way. How you doing over there, Nicole? All right, hanging on. All right. So anyway, if you got young children, you're a parent. You sacrifice sleep because why? The children are more valuable. The care and the nurture and the love of the next generation, you're leaving a legacy. That's more valuable than the sleep. So you willingly, joyfully surrender and sacrifice sleep. But do you know that for some people, remember, everybody sacrifices something. Some people sin when they sacrifice. There's some people in here who are sacrificing their marriage and their family because your career is more valuable to you. Some of you are sacrificing intimacy with God because your sin is more valuable to you. Some of you are sacrificing the authority of the Word of God. Pastors and churches sacrifice the authority of the Word of God because attendance and relevance and cool is more, is more valuable to them. We don't ever want to make that mistake. And so we sacrifice out of a joyful, willing heart, and it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Now, when you are strengthened by grace, there are three sacrifices that you will make, and they're all listed here in Hebrews chapter 13. I want you to see them here, beginning in verse 10. He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So he's comparing us as Christians. We have something the Old Testament priests didn't have. We have an altar. Who is the true and the better altar? It's Jesus. He's the true and the better altar. Something we have that they didn't have. Verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin... See the word sacrifice? Sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Do you see that phrase outside the camp? Underline that there in verse 11. Then verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate. He mentions it again. A very specific geographical location where Jesus suffered. Outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Verse 13, therefore, the word therefore is a big signpost for you to know application is coming. Now here's something you have to do based on what we just read. Therefore, let us go to him where? Outside the camp. For the third time, he mentions a geographical location. Outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So the first sacrifice that we make when our heart is strengthened by grace is the sacrifice of suffering. Jesus calls you outside the camp of your comfort zone. He calls you outside the gate of easy life. He calls you outside the gate of comfortable, status quo, safe, 
no risk taking. I think I'll just stay right here where it's safe. Jesus didn't do that. He left heaven and he came to earth and he was crucified on a cross outside the physical gate of Jerusalem. But the writer of Hebrews always sees the significance and always decodes it for us. The reason why Jesus was sacrificed outside the gate and not inside the gate is to show us we can't stay inside the gate of safety either. We've got to go to the places it's hard. Even when they falsely accuse us, even when they marginalize us, even when they penalize us or maybe one day arrest us and kill us, Jesus says, come on out and let's play outside the gate. Even when it's a place of suffering. Why would he call us to that? Do you understand that when it's the hardest, when you're enduring, when you're suffering, Jesus says, I'm in it with you. Notice it says, let us go to him. He's out there. He's with you in the hard places of suffering. And you can go there no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice, knowing it's a place of grace. It's a place where Jesus goes with you. And then verse 14 tells us something else. He says, For we have, we here have no lasting city. He may call you from home. He may call you from your hometown. He says, Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I was speaking to these Eastern Europeans, and many of them were going into hard places where no churches exist or no Christians are, uh, are, and they're planting these churches, and they're going to hard places where there's persecution and so much suffering. How can we call people to, to go to the place of suffering? When you understand that this world is not our home, we're refugees living in a place that is not our home, and yet we are looking to a city one day where we will eternally dwell, sometimes God calls you from the place of familiarity and comfort to go to the place where everybody's different and there's a different value system and maybe even a different language. I want to introduce you to somebody that I met over there uh, this past week. His name is Mark um, Patton, and his wife's name is Karen. And Mark pastors a Hungarian church. Go ahead and put that slide up there if you would. And uh, Mark pastors a church in Hungary. Now, Hungary is the neighboring country to Romania, just to the west. Mark has been a pastor there for 23 years. Mark, his hometown, believe it or not, is Berrien Springs, Michigan. And I met him over there. He's actually visited our church a few times. Believe it or not, his sister is a member of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. It's Kathy Chapman. And you may know Kathy or you may know Bryce Chapman. Bryce is his nephew. And Mark, after graduating from high school, he went to Bible college. He threw up his hands. He says, God, I'll go anywhere and do anything. And so God sent him to Hungary. 
And as a 23, 24-year-old, he planted a church in Estergom, Hungary. And he learned the language and he enculturated himself so much so that he he became Hungarian. Some of the native Hungarians came up to me and said, he is so Hungarian that now when he speaks English, he has a Hungarian accent. (laughs) All in an attempt to reach people that need to be in relationship with the Lord in a hard place where it's cold and dark and and there's such a a, a veneer of Christianity on these cold Orthodox or dead Catholic churches. And so Mark and Karen have been over there for 23 years. And um, uh, believe it or not, (laughs) Mark grew up on the mission field between the ages of four and nine. Guess where his family were missionaries? Liberia. Where do you find people from Berrien Springs who have planted Hungarian churches that grew up in Liberia within a 20-minute proximity of a church that plants churches in Liberia and now is going and helping harvest Europe in Arad, Romania? It's just incredible. A year ago, somebody handed Mark a copy of James McDonald's book, Vertical Church. And he read it. It was just, that's a good book. It didn't really impact me much. But just a couple of months ago, um, he got to meet our director of the Harvest Bible Fellowship in Arad, Romania. His name is Janneke. And Janneke handed him that book and was telling him about our vision to plant churches all over Eastern Europe. And, and Mark went back and read that book again. And it rocked his world. As for the first time, he understood that so much of his ministry had been horizontal in nature and trying to use marketing and trying to use relational capital, trying to do things and and not really understanding at a deep level that church is for the glory of God. And when we come, it's, we're coming to give this glory to God. And so he, he really dove into that book and he was sharing with one of his other pastor friends in Hungary, one, a pastor of one of the largest churches in Hungary, how this book had in, has, has been impacting him. And that church looked at him and says, Mark, I am so ready to give up. We've used the best of church growth principles and practices, and it's just so hard. And I just, I'm not seeing the movement of God. And, and, and you saying all this is, is something I want to learn more about. And so we invited Mark to come. Mark had only read uh, about half the book. And so he said, I want you to come and teach that to my leadership team at my church. And so Mark did. And it, it, the, the, they were just so impacted by what he said. He said, well, you got to come back and teach the second half of the book. So Mark had to go and read the second half of the book and come back and teach it again. And now Mark, listen, Mark has shared with 13 other churches in Hungary. He's got 40 other pastors that are all desperate for vertical church. And next month, all 40 of them are going to Arad, Romania to meet with the leadership of Harvest Bible Chapel. Do you know what's happening? God is using a man for 23 years who has faithfully served and prayed from Berrien Springs, Michigan to open the doors of a new country to plant Harvest Bible Chapels all over that country. God is on the move. And it never would have happened without a man who said, I have no lasting city, but I'm looking for a city that's to come. 
the heart of sacrifice and even the sacrifice of suffering. We have a lady in our church that's a native, Hungar- uh, uh, native Romanian. Do you, do you know Adina? Adina Gerhardt. Uh, Adina and Chris serve uh, up in our St. Joe campus. They were actually, uh, uh, they're here a lot of times, but now they're, they're serving up there. And uh, they, Adina was so excited about Andrea and I going over and, and ministering in Hungary. She followed us so closely. And uh, on Tuesday afternoon, we got a, uh, Andrea got a text from Adina. This is what the, the text said. It was a Facebook message. And I'll read you some excerpts. She says, I miss the people of, of Romania and the streets and the simplicity of life. I miss seeing their pure joy and deep adoration for Jesus. Their lives are hard and I haven't forgotten. And I am so grateful that God took you there. And then she said, I listened to the whole service from Sunday morning. They live streamed their service there. And so Adina was listening in to what was happening there on Sunday morning. Uh, And she said, I loved how they sang in English and in Romania. And then she says this, my grandmother prayed with a handful of women in the underground church many years ago for days like today in Romania. God is faithful. I read that as I preached to those Romanians and they burst into tears knowing that so many of their grandmothers and faithful servants had prayed and endured the reproach of Christ with Christ. And now God was answering those prayers and God is opening the doors to have the churches of the kind to which we're committed planted in those places where it's so dark and so cold. None of it happens without the commitment to endure the sacrifice of suffering. And not only that, but the sacrifice of praise. Look at verse 15. Through him, let us then continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Sometimes we think about praise and worship being a celebration and smiley faces and we dance and we sing and we shout and it it's not less than that but it needs to be so much more than that the place of worship in the old testament was violent and bloody they would cut the throat and drain the life out of that animal and offer that sacrifice. All pointing to one day how Jesus would, his life would be drained from him as our sacrifice. And so how do we think about the sacrifice of praise? Listen, if you're a person that comes in here in the gathered worship experience every Sunday and you just kind of yawn your way through and stick your hands in your pockets and you're kind of wondering, when are we going to get to the preaching? And and why are these people so excited? I don't understand why it's so loud in here. And I don't really get it. You don't understand what it means to sacrifice your praise to God. In order to sacrifice praise... You have to deal violently with every competitor for your worship. In America, if you do not choose to give praise to God, 
there will be a thousand other idols standing in line waiting to take their place. And so if I'm going to praise God in the truest sense, I must drain the life out of every competitor for my worship. Whatever captures your attention, whatever distracts you from the life and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that's your idol. It must be decapitated in order for you to sacrifice. Now listen, we're not talking about bad things. We're talking about good things. Good things that can become God things. Things like recreation, sleep, relationships, entertainment, sports. Those things aren't bad, but they can become God things in my life if I choose to give my praise to something that only belongs to God. And so I must drain the life from every competitor for my worship. Not only do I need to deal with the good things, I need to deal with the bad things when I come to the place of worship. You see, I must drain the life from bitterness if I'm going to bring the sacrifice of praise. Do you remember the Old Testament figure Job? Job was a man that faithfully served God. He was the godliest man on earth at the time, the Bible says. And in his faithfulness, God took away his health, he took away his wealth, and he took away all ten of his children. The only thing God didn't take away was his wife. And he'd wished God would take her away. <laughs> Do you remember what she said to him when all this was, when life was crashing down around him? Why don't you just curse God and die? Well, thank you for that encouragement. You know, it's like, and God, you want to leave her down here? Okay, so in the midst of all of that happening, do you know what Job did? He had to make a choice. Am I going to praise God anyway? And he had to come to that crucial point where his praise became a sacrifice. And what did he say? Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you praise God for even the bad stuff He allows in your life? Cancer? Miscarriage? Relational conflict? That's when sacrifice becomes a praise. And praise becomes a sacrifice. And then finally, I've got to drain the life out of my desire for self-glory. Now listen, if you're like me, you don't mind making the sacrifice as long as somebody acknowledges you made a sacrifice. Oh, what you did, that was so sacrificial of you. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of was, wasn't it? No place for that. Every time I give the sacrifice, I have to deflect the praise. God is the only one that gets the glory when I give the sacrifice. I can't call attention to it. I can't pat myself on the back. I can't feel sorry for myself when nobody recognizes. Because it wasn't for me. It was for Him. Even the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name, not mine. And then finally, the sacrifice 
of sharing. Look at verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So this has to do with what we do with our time. Do you share your time? You say, I'm busy. Listen, unlike money, time is the only thing that everybody has equal amounts of. And everybody makes sacrifices of time to whatever they consider to be of the greatest value. Do you share your time? You share your talent? God's given you gifts. He's given you an intellect. He's given you experiences. He's given you education. He's given you skills and abilities. All for the purpose of building up His church. Building up His kingdom. And yet, we spend and sacrifice it for things that don't matter. And then finally, God's given us treasure. Something that we have different amounts of. But we live in America for crying out loud. Everybody in here is rich compared to the people that I spent this week with. And God says, don't neglect to do good. Sharing what you have. Because with these sacrifices, God is pleased. Is God pleased with your sacrifice? Christian Barboso said something in his message this week that really caught my attention. He said, there is a word that has hurt the Romanian church. It's the word volunteer. He said, that's not a biblical word. The idea of a volunteer means Hey, I'm showing up to help and contribute and you're so lucky to have me and and you know, I I volunteer one Sunday a month. <gasps> Woo! Wow, you're so sacrificial. One Sunday you spend on God, the other three you spend on yourself. Wow, we're so lucky to have you. That's what he said. He said, "You know what? You want to know what the biblical word is? Slave." And yet we sacrifice because as slaves, we love our master. And we know that our master loves us. And there's nothing that he's not worthy of. Does this seem unreasonable to you? There's a verse in Romans chapter 12 that I learned as a teenager. And it goes like this. I appeal to you. It's an urgent call. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, what's motivating you? by the mercies of God. Not guilt, but grace. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. He's been so good to you. He sacrificed so much to you. Now, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the ESV translation. I learned it in the King James, and it goes like this at the end, which is your reasonable service. Don't think this is unreasonable. Don't think this is illogical. It's the most reasonable thing you could do in light of what He has done for you. What He did is unreasonable. What He's asking me to do is reasonable. This morning, would you give to God that which he wants. He's not looking for 
some sacrifice to put you in right relationship with God. He's not looking for something from you to appease his anger. What he's looking for you is a heart that is so overwhelmed with how good and gracious he has been to you that you would be glad to offer up to him everything you've got. Your mind, your vocabulary, your treasure, your bank account, your marriage, your family, your comfort, your safety, the familiarity of a hometown, to go anywhere and do anything because of his sacrifice for us. Would you just bow your heads right there? I don't know what the Lord may be saying to you, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we understand the essence of the Christian life is sacrifice. Have you stayed behind the wall of the camp? He's inviting you outside to endure the reproach. As this world continues to become more hostile toward the Lord that we love, it's going to require more sacrifice. There will be no vertical churches. There will be no fulfillment of the Great Commission without those who are willing to joyfully surrender that which rightfully belongs to them in exchange for a greater reward. Would you just drain the life out of your tendency to attract attention to yourself, pat yourself on the back, drain the life out of Sacrifice motivated by guilt, pressure that you haven't given enough. You're never going to give enough. Christ is enough. He is my reward. And would you dare even to ask God, God, what is it you want me to bring as a sacrifice to you? He'll be specific. Keep your heads bowed and would you join me uh, in standing we just want to pray together here as you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed let's just continue in a place of worship here father we come very humbly recognizing the blood that was shed on our behalf to bring us into right relationship with you and we confess that we haven't nor will we ever sacrifice enough and yet today is a day when we've been challenged by your word. We've been called outside the gate of comfort and safety and to the place where you are. So God, be specific with each one of us. God, I pray that you would find this to be a place where the praise is sacrificial, where our hearts are broken, humble, teachable, contrite. That's the heart. That's the sacrifice you will not despise. 
And so God, all of this is for your glory. We want to acknowledge your name with the fruit of our lips. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we sing together?